When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon and welcome, everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. It is great to be with you on a Balls Wednesday. Hope you're well out there. I'm Jeff. That is Tom, Director Matthew in the house. We're on Twitter at Jay Cameron Show. If you're listening on 93.3 Real Talk Radio, we appreciate it. Here's your... Daily respite from the insanity of political talk radio. And in addition to that goodness, uh, if you're watching on War Chant TV, then you have the opportunity to like and subscribe. And we thank you for doing so. Appreciate that very, very much. Um, but yeah, make sure you do like and uh, subscribe and get after it and have some fun with it. It's game week. It can't get here soon enough. I, I think the word that I've used this week is anxious. Very, very anxious because I want to know with greater context what we're seeing. And on that note, we have some thoughts on that today that we'll do in the second hour of the show. Tom and myself, we were, we were talking today during show prep, if you whatever you want to call it, and we were kind of talking a little bit about some of the conversations we've been having. And as we were in the middle of that conversation, because we were kind of going back and forth, it was a give and take of ideas. We said, wait, let's just stop talking about this and save it for the show because I think this is interesting. It's it's about perspective. Uh, it's about um, not only observations through camp, but projections. And a lot of things that we think we know or we're not sure we know and some stuff that we outright don't know and some things that we think for sure we're positive of and what it all means. But I do know that I'm anxious because I, I, I just think to myself, man, uh, this is this is a a, a vital, vitally important um, season, and it's it's really 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 uh, crucial to Mike Norvell and his future here. Um, so it's you know you, I, I'm rooting. For, I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna beat around the bush here. I'm rooting for this guy to succeed. Like Mike Norvell and I don't go out, you know, hanging out and 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 you know go to the park together and go see movies and have lunch and and all that. I mean that's not. But I like him. He's a good guy, and I also think he's a good coach. But I say it on this show all the time that one thing 20-plus years in this business has taught me and observational, um, you know, uh, well, I would say this, context clues and everything else that we read into that you learn over time is there are a lot of good coaches that don't work out for whatever reason, just things that happen wrong time, wrong place, wrong moment, one misstep. One miscalculation, uh, and and so sometimes it doesn't work out. Even if you like the guy, other times a guy works out and you don't like him, and you don't think he's a real good coach. Like I was having a conversation today with a friend, Tom. How annoying is it 
that LSU picked the wrong guy and won a national championship. FSU picked the wrong guy and had to start over with nothing to show for it less than two and a half years later. LSU picked the wrong guy. Ed Orgeron is a dummy and made a mockery of the LSU program in a short period of time, but he won a national title. Now, that gets into recruiting and the fertile grounds, and the, it gets into a, a lot of things. A key transfer and a, a key offensive trans- mind. Yes, yes. But yes. that's my point, though. How annoying is it, right? Again, we get into circumstances. What are they? When do you get there? On the back of what? What is happening at your program at the time that I arrived to coach it? All of those things, right? And, um, you know, that's just – it's one of those things where – it's different all the time. You see it all the time, and and you talk to coaches in the business. I mean, it's funny to talk to coaches and their observations of other coaches. Well, you know that because not just have not only have you done it, but read the uh, you know under condition of anonymity article that comes out every year where coaches are honest with uh, the writer. Does uh, Athlon do it? Who do, ESPN's done it before? Lots of places do it. It's the only thing I see Athlon for. That's right. That's how I know every year. Oh, Athlon's still around. Yeah, there but it, it makes me laugh, right? There'll, there'll be these guys that are like, so-and-so isn't very good at this, 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 or this. But he's in a real good situation, and oh, by the way, his offensive coordinator is the best in the business. You know, And, and you're like, well, they went 10-2 and two last year, and this guy's apparently a dumbass amongst the coaches in the league, right? And so... And, and on and on we go. Others are elite in a terrible situation where they, they get better. If you win six games, you'll, you'll read a coach say, that's a miracle. They have no right to win six games where they are. Their facilities are garbage. The fans don't show up for the games. Their budget is terrible. You can't recruit there. How he's winning six games is a miracle. Then you got a guy like Dan Mullen who, with in, you know, imperfect rosters, yes. can put to hell uh, put together one hell of a game plan. Oh, he's a, he's a good make, game day coach. And make the most out of whatever little he's got. Turn them into the maximum that they can be as long as the message hasn't gone still yet and he hasn't pissed off the boosters and the people behind the scenes in the athletic department. So that's it. That's it. It's, it's fascinating. It's all different shades. It is. So why do I bring up all of it? I bring up that because I'm not afraid to say that I am really rooting for Mike to do well because I think he's a good football coach. I think he's passionate, hardworking, organized, all these things. But, man, we've said it all off season. And it remains true. This is a very easy business to figure out at the highest levels. You smoke or you get smoked. You win or you don't. If you do not win, you could have and could have accrued all the knowledge under the sun in regards to football. And it means nothing unless you find a way to turn that around into victories. And now we're at the point where it's time to get getting. Time to get with the getting you got to win some games. They're a flawed team. There's some areas that concern you. They're a better team than they've been each of the last two seasons for sure. So there are a lot of definitives, right? They're, they're much better than they were. But they're far from a finished product. they got a long ways to go to be good, good, right, where you, where you can overcome some of the things that great teams you see frequently overcome. You know, it's funny. Fans will always complain about penalties. Many times you look back on teams that had fantastic seasons, 11-win seasons, championship seasons, most penalized team in the country, most penalized team in the conference. Margin for error was great. They just had better players than everybody they faced. Bigger, stronger, faster. 15 penalties in a game, what's the matter? We beat your ass by 21 instead of 38. You know, things like that. But this isn't that team. 
No, no, no. The margin for error is very small, where if you are, like last year's team, incapable of getting it together on special teams, you're going to lose a lot. You're going to lose a lot because you're not good enough to overcome those yards. And we hope that this year is a huge step forward in that regard. We don't know that it will be. It can't be worse. can't be worse. <laughs> it can't be worse. They were horrible. Yeah, uh, I mean, okay. They're going to catch it, the ball, man. They're going to catch the ball. I'm just saying if, if Norvell's injury luck continues, you know, let's just say it went into another year, you say, good God. Here I thought that man couldn't get any unluckier. He has again. It would need that would need to happen for it to be worse. Well, yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm just protecting against that because anytime I assume something for the man, I think it you never can happens. Assume goes, they're well, going to be better at F. returning kicks and punts. Uh, yeah. Let's just put that. Yeah. Okay, sure. Let's just put that. I don't know if we're going to make field goals consistently, but well, I, I well, mean, Micah gets dinged in game one. You're like, oh. There's other guys that can catch the damn punt or the kicks. I, I mean, come on. Old Russo can do it. <laughs> yes, he can. He can. He can. So uh, the point is they're going to be better in that area. But I, I just keep thinking about how important it is for them to take a big step forward this year. And, and it's got to be in the win column. It can't just be, uh, you know, anecdotally, hey, look, they were better at this in this game. They're better here. And, they're you know, if you go back and watch the second quarter, no, it's got to turn into wins. And if that happens, then Florida State gets to take a big leap forward in the next couple of years because it will affect recruiting. It will open doors that are currently closed in recruiting. Because at the end of the day, when I brought up the LSU situation, how could they overcome Ed Orgeron is really what that became. How did they overcome Ed Orgeron? Well, they overcame it because they had better players. They were loaded. That is arguably the greatest offensive team in the history of football in college. They were insanely gifted. Look at the look at the number of players that were drafted. Ed could recruit, especially defensive linemen. He kept the recruiting train going, which is what saved his ass, along with a leap for the ages from a quarterback that transferred in. Joe Burrow became that guy. There was no evidence that he would be. There was no evidence in the prior season that he'd be that guy. But they were loaded, and the light bulb went off, and the right guy came in and called plays, and they overcame Ed Orgeron. And he was the Gene Chizik of his decade. You know, and, and so when it ha- right, right. So when it happens and you get a guy like that and you have a Cam Newton season, well, a Vince Young season yeah. at Texas. Right. And Michael Dyer didn't suck for Auburn either. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, you know, these things. But this guy hasn't inherited that roster. He doesn't have that to work with. Having to build it back up. And he, he's in dire need of success. And I'm, I'm anxious to see if all of this hard work, all the organization we talk about, all the passion, all the connectivity, all of the flipping of the roster, the, the, the exodus of toxicity, all that stuff that he's been able to accomplish, the things that the buy-in that he's been able to get, the successes in the, um, in my mind, evaluations of the transfer portal players. They've done a fantastic job with that. Does that all add up to the aforementioned number of wins that he needs to, to, to probably take that next leap? Because I, I I don't it's one thing like if they go seven and five I'm still worried Tom for because I I don't think that you're going to see the shift in recruiting and I don't know that eight necessarily does it but it certainly begins to 
to open doors, I think. Yeah, it does. It's just for me, the hard part about this discussion is we skipped over year two. You know, we talked about how 2020 was not a real first season, how last year was year one. And the way we're judging him this year is like we're judging him. It's a year three. The year two never happened for him. (laughs) I'm just going back through the way we discussed Mm -hmm. the past two seasons. And if he's a dead man walking, as you say, because he doesn't win enough football games this year, then he just did lose a year, period. He did. So that year zero, year one stuff was nonsense because we're judging him this year as though it's year three. That's a harsh reality probably, though. I think so. We can debate fair another time, but I I think so. I think because of what it means for the future seasons. Right. And if you win, it's not just opening doors to high school relationships and kids looking at Florida State's tape and saying, oh, that tape looks like something I could do better with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's opening up the pockets for a totally unrelated NIL collective that has nothing to do with Florida State and Rising Spear. I mean, the name doesn't even suggest they work with Florida State. It's amazing (laughs) how this thing that's completely separate of the university has money in the coffers for specifically Florida State athletes. I don't know how it works. But I do know that if they win enough games, you're going to get doors open two different ways. Mm. The high school recruits are going to say, that looks like a fun system. And then that collective will say, oh, look at that. The PL reports look really good. Looks like we can invest more. That's good. So I had the good fortune of uh, talking to an LSU insider, one who's been able to see practices and talk to the coaches and and certainly keep tabs on a daily basis on how they're progressing as well. And I know as much as you guys were probably tuning in today for me to do the same for the head coach at Duquesne, I'm sorry I let you down. I skipped ahead. I skipped ahead. It's not that I'm not excited about the home opener. I am. It's the return of football, and it's here at Doe Campbell Stadium. We'll be at Hotel Indigo for the pregame show celebrating the return of Florida State football specifically. That will be fun. But I did want to keep tabs. I did want to look ahead to uh, New Orleans and see what uh, Matthew Biscotto had to say. Biscotto, I should say, had to say. And uh, he joined us, well, he joined me uh, yesterday morning. And uh, you're going to hear that conversation next. If you're watching here on Warchan TV, you'll watch the video as well. He joined me via StreamYard. So that's next. Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, Warchan TV. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time time or your money back guaranteed because with ebay motors you're burning rubber not cash with all the parts you need at the prices you want it's easy to make your car the mvp and bring home huge wins keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply the jeff cameron show brought to you by orange theory fitness two tallahassee locations midtown on thomasville road and north side in the village common shopping center online at orangetheoryfitness.com Jeff Cameron Show and War Chant TV. We got an opportunity now. Matt Moscona going to join us. 104.5 ESPN there in Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Alexandria. He's all over the place. You've seen him, and now he joins us. I'm excited about that because we got to get some perspective on LSU. It's almost go time, Matt. Welcome in. Thanks for taking time to join us. I appreciate it. Hey, Jeff. It's my pleasure. Exciting time, man, for sure. 
Yeah, real exciting time, in fact. And obviously, Florida State is playing this weekend as a warm-up. The main attraction everybody's looking forward to is this LSU game. But I think one of the things that stands out, and I want to start picking your brain right off the bat here, is nobody really knows what LSU is beyond talented. Uh, It's always difficult to get a read on the kind of transformation that occurs when coaching staffs are replaced. And most people certainly know who Brian Kelly is and his successes. And at the same time, one has to wonder with the transformation, how quickly can he get this team playing at peak efficiency? They're certainly not devoid of talent. So give me your first impressions of Brian Kelly since you've been covering him and his arrival to Baton Rouge. Yeah, I sure wish LSU had a week zero game, but um, uh, to maybe find out a little bit more about what they'll be. But Brian Kelly, I think, has surprised a lot of people. He surprised me. Um, I, I guess you're not knowing much about Brian Kelly other than what you see from the from the outside. I, I always had the impression that he was sort of a cold, you know, hard, standoffish Northeastern guy, red face. You see the rants, the yelling a lot on the sidelines. He's actually been quite the opposite with us. He's been very warm and engaging. Uh, I feel like as a as a you know a, a beat that's covering his team, he's been maybe more uh, willing to meet us halfway than maybe from what I understand he's been at any point in his career. He's opened practices at times fully, which hasn't happened in Baton Rouge in more than thirty years. Um, he uh, he he likes to tell jokes. They're not very good jokes, but he likes to tell jokes. Um, but I, you know, I think he has. Um, uh, he's been warm, and 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 uh, I think Baton Rouge has really received him well. I know people ask me all the time about the fit, and you know what I tell people all the time is the three most successful coaches in LSU history: uh, Skip Bertman, who won five baseball national titles, was a Jewish guy from Miami; uh, Dale Brown was the second winningest coach in SEC history behind only Adolph Rupp. He's from Minot, North Dakota. And uh, Nick Saban, of course, from West Virginia, who spent his whole career in the Midwest before he got to Baton Rouge. And um, none of those guys maybe knew how to spell Andui or Etouffee when they took the LSU job, but they won. And that's really all you have to do here. And at the end of the day, I was just about to say, if he wins, he'll be a resident forevermore, right? I mean, uh, they build statues for guys who do that. And he's done a lot of winning. It's been an elusive national championship that he has sought. And many believe that is certainly why he left Notre Dame, because what he's able to recruit, that imprint right there, that footprint in the South and Louisiana, we all know. Uh, Now, let's get to the roster, because that is my next question. How quickly will he succeed? How much of, I guess, for lack of a better term, would you say, how much chaos was there over the last two seasons with Ed Orgeron? Because one would assume, or maybe that's just me, one thing Brian Kelly is going to do immediately is instill discipline and kind of restore the locker room, if you will, and bring out the most in this talent that we talk about on a regular basis. For those Florida State fans that are listening to this that don't know, LSU has three, possibly four NFL draft picks on the defensive line. The receiving core, it can be argued, if not the best, I guess you could argue Alabama's a better receiving core, but LSU certainly in the conversation. They're not devoid of talent whatsoever. How I guess talk about Brian Kelly and, and how quickly he can get this group playing at their best because, again, it seems to me from outside looking in that it seems self-evident that there was a lot of chaos over the last couple of years with that Orgeron. Hey, Jeff, to, to start with your, your question about how much chaos was there, um, for perspective, in this most recent NFL draft, LSU had 10 players drafted. The only program that had more players drafted 
was Georgia, the defending champion, with 15. That's an LSU team that went six and seven. It's it, it's unthinkable. Um, Ed Ogeron literally admitted he hired Bo Pelini as his defensive coordinator without ever interviewing him. He um, completely lost control of the structure of his program. He was an inept hire uh, and evaluator of assistant coaching talent. Uh, you can look at things like during the, the BLM movement in, uh, in the summer of 2020, he had his players march on campus without him intentionally uh, to, the, to the president's office. To say the culture at LSU was bad is a gross understatement. And that's why within a year and a half of having the most dominant team in the history of college football, uh, he was fired and LSU paid him $17 million to go away. Um, Brian Kelly is the antithesis of Ed Ogeron. He, everything is with intention and purpose. Now, I, I'm not telling you that I know that this will work or will deliver championships or I, I have a feeling on it, but um, he came in and uprooted something like 40 jobs within football ops he met with everyone from his assistants to the people that answered the phones and the custodial staff because he there's a way he wants everything done um and when you're inheriting a program that had so much chaos and dysfunction that order and structure is needed not only for the players but for everything within the building from when former players are allowed to come in and visit and who's at practice and what time you eat. And I mean, Brian Kelly's implemented structured pro programs where, you know, he has daily checklists and affirmations that he wants his players going through, but it's needed. I would say it's almost like, you know, when you're, when you're a, a teacher of a, of a, you know, in an elementary school, when your kids are going to, to lunch, they need to walk in a single file line with their finger over their mouth. You know, by the time you get to high school, you should be a little have a little more freedom where you just go to lunch. You know, in college, they may figure it out. That's that's kind of maybe where Brian Kelly will eventually get this program too. But man, they needed stru structure and organization, and he immediately brought it. How much will that convert to wins initially? I, I mean, we'll start to find out. But boy, he had a uh, he had a pretty significant overhaul uh, culturally that he inherited. But he did inherit a lot of talent. It's interesting because Florida State fans listening to this right now can relate to some degree. There are different factors at play, but at the end of Jimbo Fisher's time in Tallahassee, things had gotten ugly as well, and the locker room was described as toxic. Uh, a lot of the loss of control of which you described was similar to what was happening in Tallahassee. There were some different factors that led to that. Fisher leaves, and Florida State makes a mistake, I think, in retrospect, and, uh, and had to start over yet again a short period of time. And so Mike Norvell implemented much of what you're describing that we see Brian Kelly doing at LSU now, which is kind of flipping the entirety of what they did on a daily basis, how they interacted, how they ate, how they practiced, how they worked out, what they did together, all of those things on and off the field. So it's certainly very relatable to the fans listening to this as they see these two teams take the field there in New Orleans in such a short period of time. I, I guess I'll start with the news out of camp for you, Matt. I want to ask what you've learned up to this point. I know uh, John Emery's suspension has been a topic as of late. It's not as if, though, LSU doesn't have running backs that they feel good about. 
first I would ask you, is that is he going to win his appeal? I'm not an expert on what happened there, but I've read enough to know that it seemed like something that would have been resolved in his favor. It hasn't been up to this point. Yeah, Jeff, I'll tell you, a year ago, um, John Emery was taking first-team reps all the way up until the Thursday before the opener against UCLA. And I asked a staff member, why in the world didn't you plan for a contingency? How did you not consider the fact that you may not have this guy and to give someone else reps? And the answer was they never considered that they would lose the appeal because during COVID, it felt as though the NCAA was was granting everybody COVID waivers. Uh, I don't think that's an excuse. I think that's another flaw that Ed Ogeron had. But my point is, if John Emery wasn't granted the appeal a year ago, I don't know what would change now that, that he would be granted a waiver for these two games. Um, so I, I would assume, and again, I don't know. I can't tell you that I know this answer definitively. But I would assume that, that John Emery would not be available against Florida State, um, which means Noah Kane, who's a Penn State transfer, would likely be the guy along with Armani Goodwin, who's in the second year in Baton Rouge. And both those guys are very talented backs. Both have looked really good in camp. And I would tell you, honestly, Jeff, I, I don't know that I could really differentiate among the three. I, I don't know that I would tell you John Emery was decidedly better than those two in fall camp. The problem LSU has is the next guy is Josh Williams, who's a former walk-on. So they've got a couple of guys that they really like, but you're a turn ankle away from you know, looking at a walk-on on your depth chart. So that that's the issue. They've got talented guys up front. The depth is the problem. On the offensive line, uh, everybody would look to that position as a problem from a year ago, but that was a position that also had talent and that, again, has talent. Now, some of that is in the form of a, a freshman recruit that everybody has heard about and certainly expects big things from. How quickly can he be great is always the question when you bring in a, a highly touted player like Will Campbell. But then in addition, um, I know there are transfers there. They're shuffling guys around uh, trying to find the best five. Uh, the offensive line numbers towards the end of last year weren't good. It was strange to look at some of those numbers in terms of pass protection and then also lack of success rate in the run game. Yet there were games that we saw with LSU where they were dominant. How would you assess that group so far in camp? It's so strange. Um, yeah, that was a unit that was not very good in 2020. and But they returned everybody last year. And the point I made at this time a year ago was just because you return everybody from a unit that wasn't very good doesn't mean you're better. Those guys have to improve. And in the second half of the year, they did. The first half of the year was a real struggle. Up to your point three, those guys got drafted. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, yeah. Was, it was such a bizarre season, and it's hard to look at anything other than, than Ed Ogeron. But um, this is what, I, this is what I, I'll tell you, Jeff, about this offensive line. I think the five guys that LSU will start against Florida State, if you look ahead in 10 years, you would say those were five Sunday players. I think they'll all get their opportunity to play in the NFL. What is the great unknown, it, part of what you mentioned, right? Will Campbell is the best offensive lineman that Louisiana has produced probably since Andrew Whitworth, 20 years. Um, he's a freshman. Uh, starting, he's going to be starting his first collegiate game at left tackle. I, I don't know how that's going to go. Um, Garrett Dellinger played a lot last year as a freshman. Very talented player. He's going to be playing center for the first time in his life. 
Uh, you're starting two transfers. Uh, you're starting a right tackle who was a guard a year ago. I think all those players are very talented and are going to play at the next level. But how do they function together in positions they haven't played and played with each other? Week one against that Florida State defensive front, that's a big question. I mean, I think this game, it looks like both teams have real questions on the offensive line and real strengths on the defensive line. And I, and I think that, in a nutshell, is this game on September the 4th. It's like, which offensive line is going to be able to come together quickly enough against the opponent's really talented defensive front is probably going to be the story of this game. Kind of screams, take the under. <laughs> <laughs> if nobody can block anybody, but then again – both potentially with mobile quarterbacks. We know Jordan Travis is going to be the starter for Florida State. Is Jaden Daniels going to be the starter for LSU, or is yeah. it Nussmeier? Man, we're 14 minutes in. I finally got a quarterback question. I don't like to go to the quarterbacks early. We know games are won up front. I don't need to bother with the quarterbacks until we find out what's going on with the lines. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, Jeff, my, my take all along has been this was going to be Jaden Daniels' job, uh, at least to take the first snap against Florida State. Is he going to be good enough to keep the job? We'll, we'll see how he plays um, and what this offense wants to be. But it makes so much sense. He is by far the most experienced guy with 30 career starts. You know, Miles Brennan has now since ended his career. And you know, Garrett Nussmeyer has, started, has not started and only played one game extensively a year ago as a freshman. So Daniels is your most veteran guy. Uh, he is mobile, which is what this coaching staff wants. They want a quarterback that can make plays with his feet, that can extend plays if the pocket's collapsing, and you may need that behind this offensive line. Um, so, And look, the other guys were here, and they made the decision to go get Jaden Daniels. So all of that circumstantial evidence kind of tells you what way I think they've been leaning all along. And, and I do think it'll be Jaden to take the first snaps against Florida State. Um, but again, whether or not he plays well enough to keep that job uh, remains to be seen. Well, whoever wins the job is going to be thrown to a group of receivers that I described earlier in the interview as amongst the elite in the SEC. Maybe by season's end, they'll be the best. I don't imagine they've disappointed uh, all those guys. Everybody knows about Butte, but uh, all those guys have looked really good, I assume, in camp. It's by far the greatest strength on this team. Mm -hmm. um, they There's so much skill on the outside, and this state produces a ton of a ton of skilled athletes, uh, not that d dissimilar from Florida, but um, Kayshawn Booty is there. And I think everyone knows he'll, you know, he's a you know, potential all American you know, first round pick. He is dynamic and nobody on this defense has been able to guard him in any of the drills we've been able to see. Uh, but it, it doesn't just stop there. Uh, Malik neighbors is a guy who really popped last year as a freshman. They've moved him into the slot just to get him onto the field more. Jeray Jenkins is a senior who, who is, who will be probably a middle round draft pick. Um, even beyond that, Jack Besh, who was second on the team in, in receptions a year ago after Keyshawn Boutte got hurt. Um, and then you've got these really dynamic guys like Brian Thomas and Chris Hilton, who are sophomores this year, who are just trying to find a way on the field because there's so much depth They're LSU has explosive playmakers at receiver. They've got an embarrassment of riches uh, in talent at that position. The question really is, can the quarterback stay upright to get him the football? I mean, it's that is just the big unknown with this team. But the, the biggest strength on offense is receiver. The biggest strength on defense is, is defensive line. After that, it's, it's fair to ask a lot of questions about any other position group on this team. But those two should be really, really good.
Yeah, you mentioned the defensive line because I was going to ask uh, if if you didn't pick the wide receiver position, you certainly would have picked defensive line because that's that's four guys are going to be playing in the league minimum, um, three for sure. I guess I should say. I mean, I, I love LSU's defensive line coming into this season. Yeah, and they've you know, one of the so Matt House is the new defensive coordinator. He comes in. He was the linebacker coach with the Chiefs. Uh, prior to that, he was the defensive coordinator of Kentucky. You might remember when Josh Allen. Yeah. Had the big year at Kentucky, 17 sacks, 21 tackles for loss, became a first-round pick. Well, Matt House was his defensive coordinator. So I think you know what they did in that defense and one of the changes that they're making in this one is they've, they're not looking at a traditional 3-4 or 4-3. They're kind of running a, like a 3-2 with a jack linebacker and primarily a nickel in their base. Uh, and that's the role B.J. Ojolari, that jack is what B.J. Ojolari is going to play. And you're seeing him pop up on a lot of first-round mock drafts. He's just a really athletic edge guy that that is going to be a problem for college offensive linemen to block. Um, they were looking for depth at that position, and throughout this fall camp, I think they found it in a guy like Desmond Little, uh, who's a name you don't know, but he he wears number eight now, and he's six. He's a six-five edge linebacker, so you're not going to be able to miss him if he gets on the field. But. Um, you know, but if there's one other guy I tell you to really keep an eye on who I think is has got the biggest boom potential this year, it's Mason Smith. Um, he's a big guy in the middle. He wears number zero, and he was a five-star number one defensive lineman in the country. For those who follow recruiting, you'll remember the name. Um, he has been largely unblockable uh, throughout fall camp. He he is the guy that, as you project, is the the future top ten, top fifteen pick in the draft. He's you know provided he stays healthy and all that stuff. Uh, there's a reason. You know, look, Ed Ogeron was a defensive line coach and is known as a great recruiter, and he recruited very well at that position. Um, th- there is uh, uh, no shortage of talent across that defensive front, as you'd expect with a guy like like Ogeron you know, building that, that roster. Uh, you know, maximizing the talent he had, putting good coaches in place, that was a problem with Ed. But recruiting and getting good talent on this roster was, was not an issue. It certainly wasn't an issue on the defensive line. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I have LSU going over that initial. If you could get it at six and a half early in the summer, you had to jump on it, but I think it's seven now. I I still like LSU to be one of the quote-unquote surprise teams of the West. Everybody's going to obviously pick Alabama, and then people will focus on Texas A&M, but I I really like LSU's talent, and you're not telling me anything that I didn't think I'd hear from you. That that basically, and what I mean by that is – you're you're telling my audience exactly what I thought, which is that this is a team that has talent. If they gel quickly and he gets them to play smart and disciplined football, LSU could win nine or ten games. Now, be it, it's in the brutal schedule and it's a tough SEC. But is there anything about this matchup that you've heard, and at least in terms of talk from FSU people, talk from LSU people that we're not discussing that interests you beyond just the, the cachet of the two schools. What, what is it? Is there an element of this game that you think might stand out and be the difference? Special teams. Mm. Um, LSU is um, – LSU is a team where, they, if you look at this season, they are going to be a decided underdog against Alabama and should be. They will be a heavy favorite in their non-conference games and and probably about a touchdown favorite at home against Mississippi State. Every other game on this schedule, I expect it's going to be a three-point spread one way or the other. With the LSU-Florida State game, I think it's LSU three right now. 
Uh, I, that's that's going to be this entire season for LSU. They replace every specialist on the team. Uh, they lost their long snapper, their punter, their place kicker, their kickoff guy, their holder. They lost everybody. And they tried to supplement through the transfer portal. They brought in a long snapper from East Carolina, uh, Jay Bramblett, punter from Notre Dame, followed Brian Kelly down here. He's also holding. Uh, but as far as place kicking and kickoff duties, that's a giant question. And if you're going to play a whole bunch of one-possession games, which I think LSU will this year, and you don't have a kicker, that's not a great recipe. So um, that is a gigantic hold-your-breath moment for LSU. Anytime – look, last year, Cade York was LSU's kicker. He's the best kicker in the history of the program. He, he, would, he was a kicker drafted in the fourth round by the Browns. Yeah. I, I mean – Jeff, it was literally like if LSU got inside the 40 points, that, that was the like the expectation. It was just, okay, you're inside, the, you're getting points. I mean, like Florida State's had great kickers over the years. You know what that's like whenever, when, I mean, Graham Gano, whoever. I mean, we all know that if it was Janikowski, there's just times where you have a kicker where you just feel like it's automatic. That was That's what LSU had the last two years. Last three years, actually, because they had Cole Tracy as well. But that ain't the case this year. And I'm going to tell you, if – if LSU's in a one possession, let's say LSU's down a point in the fourth quarter to Florida State, and they got to line up for a, a 42-yard field goal from the left hash to win it, I'm, a year ago, I told you put it on the board. Today, I don't know. I mean, that's nobody ever wants to talk special teams. I'm telling you, if you're looking at that game coming up on September the 4th, watch LSU special teams. Matt, it's funny. Uh, we're holding up mirrors here, brother. I got to tell you, Florida State fans will be in that same – Stadium holding their breath if it's a 42-yard field goal trailing by a point to LSU. It is the exact same thing. And you're right. Nobody thinks about it when it's automatic. I mean, Roberto Aguayo in college yeah. was as good as they come. You mentioned Sebastian Janikowski. That's back when I was in school. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's remarkable. When you've got an automatic guy, Graham Gano was great too. You're right. You, it's It changes the game because you understand that the success rate beyond the 50 – is automatic just about. I mean, there's been a couple of seasons where Florida State had a kicker miss two kicks total, you know, and, and it, it's a difference maker immediately. So you're right. I think it's it's an interesting aspect to this game. A lot of question marks around both teams going into this contest. Hey, Matt, great job. Thanks for joining us. I really uh, appreciate the conversation, getting to know you a little bit. I'll tell everybody once again, 104.5 ESPN there in Baton Rouge, 3 to 6 Central Time. Uh, if you're looking for Matt, you can find him there and find him really all over the place because as I researched you, I found you all over YouTube. Great work, sir. And uh, I look forward to, to maybe meeting you there in New Orleans and uh, take care. Man, if you can spell my last name, you can find me on the internet. <laughs> Skoda, got it. <laughs> Be good, man. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Jeff Cameron Show rolling on. Good to be with you. Thanks for joining us today on a Balls Week Wednesday. Really appreciate Matt Muscona as well. Uh, good to talk with him. Yes, if you were on Warchant uh, TV or Warchant.com, you, you've probably seen that interview. Uh, it was posted earlier today, but uh, for the radio audience and for those that watch uh, here, we wanted to be able to provide that for you as Let well. Let the boy watch. Yes, yes. So it was good. Um, it, was, uh, it was fun to watch and fun to listen to, and I do think – uh, playing, you know, really kind of when before I did the interview, I wanted to make sure I knew their personnel. So you go in there because they do have, uh, we didn't get to the secondary 
the back end is a lot of transfers, but guys that have played at a high level and guys that have played college football. So they're relying on some of those guys. And they're really pretty pretty good everywhere else. <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, that's not an elite backfield. It's not uh, – we'll see if the offensive line gels. They do have talented players there. Let's hope it's later in the year. I keep getting back to the importance of playing them early. Just as we talk about the two teams yeah. growing, and I, I think Florida State's more ready-made to start the season well, but they're less talented. Florida State's less talented than LSU. So LSU's zenith is going to be better than Florida State's. Right. That means that in the two-game series we're playing here, before, of course, we're in the same conference, you know, when we were all in the SEC together, you might want to get this one because next year in Orlando – Yeah, you're going to have to get this one. It's going to be a little rough. Unless we have the eight or nine win season, and you know you have some impact transfers on top of high school recruits. Yeah, I uh, also wonder. Next year is going to be interesting at quarterback. I think we'll talk about that uh, you and I next hour. Preston asked if there are no more injuries between now and kickoff of that game. Would you lean on Florida State plus three? Is that enough? No. Is the hook enough at three and a half? Maybe. Okay. All Maybe. right. Yeah. It's better than you saying no unequivocally. Yeah. No, I like LSU right now. I'll give the three. Uh, I originally was going to give the six, so uh, when it was that high, and then I was, give the six. Yeah, I was That's willing to take LSU minus six. Anything below seven, I was taking LSU. I was a fool. I didn't jump on that plus six. I feel good about the. Well, plus if you six. like L- FSU, you should have jumped on it early. Yeah, yeah. You, you saw the sharks came in down on our side. They all bet right. it, Yeah. Well, then you play that on the money line too for a pittance, but then that's your double down. Is hey, is there a little bonus? Because at plus six, you can get a decent money line. Yeah, I. the only thing I would tell you is that it, it works both ways. On the one hand, you, you would probably be saddened to hear me say that initially I would take LSU minus six because you're like, oh, man, that means you think they're decidedly better. I'm indifferent. <laughs> On the other hand, after watching Florida State's camp, I would not take LSU minus six. I, I would, you know, if, you, if it was that high still, I, I would take FSU. So, but I, I like LSU three or anything less than three. I like LSU to win. I think LSU's a better team. But it's a team that still will not have played a game under a new coach, new coaching staff, yep. new quarterback. They're shuffling parts around here on the offensive Old line. Old habits die hard. So, if they get hit in the mouth early. Well, we'll see. I, I don't think that, that the kind of give up you saw under Ed at the end is going to be prevalent. I, I don't think so. He's done a lot to, to overhaul that. I, and I, w- I wish Ed were still there. I promise you that because I'd like us there. But, um, you know, that's that's there, there is – I agree with that, Life Spectator. The, the, the continuity in coaching staff and quarterback – and I really think that that does give you a slight advantage, a, a possibility of taking advantage of a team early. And again, last year, Brian Kelly with a roster that was all his own, a culture that was all his own. Mm-hmm. They don't have the exact same talent in some spots as LSU, but that's a very polished Notre Dame program that was just coming off a college football playoff berth. Yeah, We were toe-to-toe with him. If, uh, if there's not a botched snap, you might beat the uh, win the game outright. We, we, we would have stolen that game. Doke came alive. They made a tactical error. They that, thoroughly outplayed us for three quarters. Which means that Brian Kelly is fallible. Oh, I don't think he's Jesus on the sideline. Yeah. I never made that argument, but I would just tell you, if he keeps his foot on the gas, we're not toe-to-toe. That, that Notre Dame was a better team all the way across the board, and they were better that night until they did something stupid. 
Their calculation by looking at the time remaining in the game and what we could and couldn't do offensively, they that's where they miscalculated. They backed up and they said, okay, run it. We're going to give you the run. Run it. And if you do, you're going to run out of time here. We'll win this game easily. Oops. Because they gave up some big scores in the run game by not tackling. And so you can give up seven yards. You can give up ten yards. You can't give up an 80-yard run. It changes the math on the clock. Well, even that 80-yard run, the first one, came in a situation where we were building a lead. We had the lead early in that game. It was actually a Well, kind they of a went right down affair. the field to their all-world tight end on fourth down, whom we they said did. you can't let. Well, we came back and took the lead after that, and then it was on the afterburners, and then Mike went for it on his own 30 out of desperation, which is something he's got to clean up too. Sure. Come on, man. If we've got a better team this year, let's not do that desperate thing with the fourth down math. Hey, Preston. You know why I dismissed Jack Cohn? Because he's the same bum that sucked the rest of the year. He just happened to be great against us, as did everybody else that played us in the first four weeks. And if he wasn't, if it was a different, if he was himself, <laughs> if Jack Cohn was himself. Jack Cohn out here dropping dimes against our sorry ass. Not to that dabbo this really thing, but we would have won eight out of ten times. <laughs> I was laughing when he did it. I was like, really? Okay. Jack Cohn, sorry ass. He wasn't Jack Cohn that night. Well, well, again, we learned our secondary couldn't cover you and me. In the in the that ne- didn't matter. There was a lot weeks. of good coverage. There. Oh, there were a lot of great throws. There were also guys running wide the hell open. So it was frustrating. Coming up next hour, we're playing some Garnet and Gold trivia. This is for our WarChant.com members only. Oh, how about that elitism? Elitism. Get you some of that. It's a buck. Sign up quick. You can be part of this. You'll reap the reward and then some. Some might say you could make 250% back. They might say that with this little piece of trivia, garnet and gold trivia, that is. If you haven't signed up, do it. Find out. We'll be playing it next hour. Got a chance uh, for to win $25 to garnet and gold next hour. Stay tuned for that. should be good. Hour two, forthcoming. Stay with us.